What's up, people? Welcome to our live stream. Today, we're going to be talking about self-taught artists that you've never heard of. And if you want to learn how to turn your artistic weakness into your strength, check out artprof.org, where we have lots of free resources, tutorials, critiques, art dares, pro development, and all that cool stuff. So, birthday twin, Lauren, why don't you get us started? Thank you, birthday twin. So, <laughs> this is Emery Blagden, and he is an artist from Nebraska, which is where my grandparents came from. I actually learned about him through my grandfather, who is also an artist that works with found object sculpture. He uh, started doing some art or collecting things influenced by the, the Great Depression. Um, he also, he would make these machines. He started when he was about 48 years old. He calls them machines. And they are supposed to to heal you from pain from illness they they were called healing machines for lack of a better word but he he did this on his own they're made out of ribbon and p bits of metal and wires and things that you would find and they're in this shed he did it in the shed in the middle of nowhere in nebraska which i thought was pretty cool yeah, this is well, a Jordan, you're not a 3D person at all. No. So I'm actually very curious to hear what your take is on this work. You know, there there's something about it that is so like it, it's so for the off first off, all of it's very different than what I'm used to. Um, but I do like the ingenuity. Like there's nothing here that feels the same. Um, everything feels like it's something that um, you really have to dig deep to find a new creative part of yourself in order to just create. And just the whole idea of healing machines is something that sounds like it's coming out of like a, uh, a science fiction novel or something. Like it's so cool to be think about. Lauren, I'm really surprised by how thin a lot of the materials are because I feel like a lot of people who work with found objects tend to be these muscular sculpture people with cast iron and his work has this almost celestial look to it which i don't see very often in found object sculptures yeah he does a lot of chandelier mobile type looking objects i think if you go through some of his images and you guys can look them up on on your own time too he's got a lot of things that hang from the ceiling and are they're also all modular meaning that they are supposed to be arranged in certain ways to create different effects so he believed that there was that these would affect uh, electromagnetic pulses in the earth and the different constellations of these pieces together would help heal your body from psychic emotional or physical illness and he's a great example that you don't have to start making art when you're 10. Lauren, didn't he start in his 60s? No, he started when he was about 48, I think. So sometime middle age. And this was a very long process. He did this entirely in his shed and it took him... I can't remember, between 20 and 30 years to basically complete all of this he was working up to his up to his death and he died in 1986 so it, it was his life's passion project more or less i love that he worked in his shed 
Because Jordan, not all of us can afford rent for an artist studio. You make right. with make do with what you have. Right. Now, I think that, that there, there's a certain tenacity you have to have um, as an artist sometimes. And if you have a shed, if you have a backyard, if you have a small desk in the corner of your apartment, you know, you like you said, use what you have. And it seems like he really took advantage of everything that was given to him and use it to the fullest of his ability. Yeah, he he had a farm in Nebraska. So the shed, which he built for this, is just what he had available to him. I mean, thankfully, in Nebraska, you do have a lot of land that you can work on, which is nice. I can't imagine doing something like this in New York. But I do think that the issue with this work that has come up afterwards is because it's so spatially specific, it was supposed to be arranged in certain ways in the shed, it's been difficult to preserve the work. It, it's supposed to go in museums and stuff now, but you kind of need the backdrop of the shed to complete the manifesto of the work, more or less. So this is a reconstruction here that you're seeing of the shed with all the objects put in. Jordan, your pick is somebody you met in person twice. Yeah, so my artist pick is LaShawn Thomas. He is an illustrator and animator, and uh, he's worked on some of my favorite shows, but I got a chance to meet him at an animation expo when I was 17 years old, and he signed my sketchbook, and that was that was like meeting a superstar to me, and it was the coolest thing ever. And then I met him two years later at New York Comic Con in 2014. Tell us in the chat, how many people here have gotten to meet an artist in person who they admired because there's something really special about that. That doesn't happen that often. And Jordan, how did he get started? Because he's worked on a lot of shows. Yeah, they all ironically have to be my favorites. Boondocks, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Core, and Black Dynamite. But uh, as far as I know, he basically was, uh, he was working at a place like Foot Locker and the, his boss's wife was someone who worked at Disney in the art department. And they ended up, hiring him as an intern doing some product design for Hercules back in the late 90s. And then he just kind of moved his way into different circles. He ended up working on the boondocks. And then since then, he's just become a major name in the industry. And um, one, of the, one of the things that he's really famous for is quitting his job in America to move to South Korea to animate with other South Koreans to learn about the whole process of animation, which is very rare. That usually does not happen. Um, so, and then he ended up creating his own show because of that. So yeah, he's just got a very unique story behind him. What I'm seeing with him, what you're explaining, I think is super interesting is that even though he's learned on his own, it seems like he made himself really open to opportunities to, to meet people and, basically network his way into these spaces mm -hmm. and i think that that's something that's really challenging for a lot of self-taught artists because usually the the model that we have nowadays is you go to art school and you meet all the people there mm -hmm. so i think this is really encouraging to see um that you can do it yourself too you just have to really make yourself open Seven Angelic says, I love expos for those kinds of experiences. I got to meet the guy who animated the Batman series at Comic-Con. Very cool. I mean, those conferences and 
expos, there are great ways to meet other artists because you definitely make an impression on somebody in real life that you just don't get in an email. So I would encourage anybody who can go to those meetings because they're extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. And Jordan, you said this started with him working at Foot Locker? Yeah, or a place like that. I don't know if it was, I don't even know if the store exists, but it was a shoe store and he was like drawing on the tags. And apparently he got in trouble for it because they're like, hey, we reuse those. So you can't just be drawing on them. And his boss was like, hey, these are actually pretty good. I'll give these to my wife and <laughs> maybe she'll get you a job. And, you know, he ended up <laughs> becoming, you know, a massive, massive name. Like everyone knows him. And actually, if you go to the last slide, um, I think it was, or, uh, one more, one more. This one, those are all of his shows that he's created. Two of them are on Netflix, um, Yasuke and Cannon Busters. And the other one, I think, has a pilot. But he started off with basically nothing, just learning how to draw him on his own, you know, like tracing over comics. And then now he's got three of his own shows being made. And I don't know. It seems like there's something about the path that is just unique. So I really appreciate it. I'm writing these down so I can, I need a new Netflix show. (laughs) (laughs) Stranger Things first, trust me. (laughs) After, nobody say any spoilers to Stranger Things. Haven't seen it yet. (laughs) I think this is a great example that opportunity is everywhere and you just have no idea where networking can come from. And more often than not, Sometimes the connection is not art related because actually the person that I got started with at Art Prof, I met through somebody I played seventh grade volleyball with plus three more degrees of separation. And so don't always make the assumption that, oh, to get an artistic connection, it has to be through art school. It has to be through a museum. It could be anywhere, which is inspiring, Lauren. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've gone blank now trying to think of one of those things off the top of my head, but I also find that this is really in sharp contrast to Emery's work, who is, he was very cloistered on his own. Nobody was around, very few people even saw the shed. So this is like, there are also many different ways of being a self-taught artist. You can really do it all for yourself, or you can go into the you know, you can go into the pro world and do it like full time and have that support you. Okay, my artist pick is Bill Trailer. And he is such a fascinating artist because everything that could have been a barrier to being an artist was what he experienced. First of all, he lived in the South in America and he was born into slavery and he was also illiterate as well. He did not start making artwork until his 80s, which is remarkable. I mean, think about you have 80 years of your life having not made any art and then all of a sudden you're producing all these pieces. And these pieces you're looking at, the reason they're an odd shape, he drew these on discarded cardboard that was on the street in his neighborhood. And it wasn't until well after his death, until the 1970s and 80s, that his work started to be collected by the Smithsonian, the American Folk Art Museum, the Met, MoMA. It's an incredible trajectory. Jordan, what do you think about this work? 
I, I'm just fast. I'm just fascinated at the fact that he started when most people are like ready to just be like, <laughs> I just want to sit and you know sit on the couch outside or or sit on the rocking chair. Um, I think it's really really amazing that he's able to to do all this stuff and be inspired despite uh, him starting so late and you know not having any sort of training or or um, real reason to do this other than just a passion. There was a show of his work at the Smithsonian back in 2018, I think. It was a really big show. And I was very impressed by the amount of work that he was able to create in those very short, what, 10 years. And I remember reading that he had a whole lot of stories, a whole lot of experiences in his 80 years that he mostly just felt it was time to get them on paper somehow. So these these creatures that you're seeing and the people, they are, um, they stand for, they each have like a certain meaning to them or they, they are symbolic. So I think this is a dog and there are several different types of dogs. And so there's a sense of, there is a tr real life narrative element and there's also a bit of a dreamlike element I feel to it as well. W315 says, get a lifetime of experience to inform your practice. Yes, because Jordan, oftentimes people say, I started so much later, I can't catch up. This person started when they were 15. I'm 65. What hope do I have? But you have 65 years of living. And I've had 18 year olds say, well, I can draw really well, but I don't know what I want to draw. Yeah, I think, I think. Um, when we start thinking about age um, and, and art and whether or not you should or should not pursue it, I think it's just, I, I think it doesn't need to be a part of the conversation sometimes. Like, yes, there, it's great that some people start young, but it's also, if you have something to say, I think you should say it. You know, sometimes people have a message that comes to them later in life and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, maybe they just weren't inspired and maybe they just never got the opportunity or never even thought about it. So um, to all those worrying about whether you're too young or too old to start, uh, you, I would say you can drop that fear from your mind. What I really like about this work is that it straddles so many different types of art because on one hand, the work is very graphic. And actually some of these look like characters from an animated movie. There's this one back here this one looks like a Francis Bacon face. And these other ones, they look like they could come out of Adventure Time, mm -hmm. the cartoon. And so I just see so many people in his work in a way, like somebody else mentioned Kara Walker as far as how those silhouettes are made. And yet I haven't really seen figures like this before. What makes them so compelling, Lauren? I think it's both their generality as these kinds of silhouettes, they don't have details of clothing so much or things like that, but it's also their specificity. If you look at all the artwork together, you'll see the same themes or objects coming up again and again and again. And the arrangement of them creates basically a story around that. I'm also really interested in his choice of color because you have these bright blue 
uh, people and you have these like red ones and it seems really choice, really picked out for a reason. Anna says, I love Bill Trailer. Saw his show at the Met a few years ago. One of my favorite artists who also started later is Purvis Young. Yeah, keep all of those names coming in the chat. Like Auntie M is suggesting a sculpture park by Veyo Ron Conan. I'm sure I'm saying that incorrectly, but it's so great when all of you jump in with artist recommendations that we can all start to dig into. Lauren, this is your pick, Maria Sibylla Marion. Yes, I learned about her in my still life class, repping still life here. So she was a Dutch artist, a still life artist from the 17th century. And she was trained by her stepfather. Back then, it was still really difficult for women to really get in the arts or be in a public art sphere or a guild or things like that. But if you were middle class or upper class, or if you had a someone in your family that that worked in a craft, then potentially you could you could learn that. So, she was lucky enough to have a stepfather that did art and then she more or less created a niche for herself doing flowers and insects and she was a scientist she she did taxonomy of these things and she went to Suriname with her daughter and with the help and guidance of uh, enslaved and indigenous women there put together this volume this enormous volume categorizing all the different objects and or all the different flowers and uh, insects and uh, animals there. And she was trained. No, she didn't get trained, but her focus was on botanical illustration, Lauren. Yeah. So that's partly back then women were allowed or more pushed towards feminine things I'm going to say so if you were an artist you generally if you were a woman artist you there were a couple that did portraiture but most of them did more floral type things flowers were really big at the time think of the, the tulip craze ginger says these look like something that would be painted today that's a great point because a lot of artwork for obvious reasons does look fairly dated, but Jordan, <laughs> this looks pretty contemporary to me. It makes me think about creature design that people do. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that she's able to focus on. And I think her interest in kind of the science is really kind of propelling this work forward. Like just looking at this and this, the scales on, uh, this is a uh, type of gator or is this a, I don't know exactly. What it's a is. caiman. I've so, never heard of that animal. Okay, well, a caiman, <laughs> like a mini gator. Okay, thank, thank you. Uh, but yeah, like there's so much detail put into like the scales and just the way it's wrapping around with the snake and everything. Like there, there's so much there to appreciate, and I agree. I think it could very well be a type of creature design. Helen says, "I got a chance to see some of her work in person. It is amazing. She was really ahead of her time." Oh, I'm just blown away by the technical skill this takes to make. This is serious chops as far as painting and drawing goes. 
and the care and time and consideration it takes to articulate work like this, which is so delicate, I think is phenomenal. And by the way, this is the coolest pineapple ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't even look like a pineapple, really, like the yellow part at the bottom. I feel like it's alive. Like, I feel like this pineapple would like eat me while it I was does. like trying to eat it. Like, I just think that's great because botanical illustration can be very cold and sterile. But Lauren, these are so full of life. They're incredibly dynamic. So this is a kind of funny and interesting thing that I find with artwork by, I'm going to call it, uh, that, that is a product of European colonization, really, is you get people that have never seen these objects ever before, have never seen a pineapple. And they're trying to understand how to, what the logic is behind it, like what they're even looking at. So you get a lot of pineapples and plants and animals and things like that that don't look like how they actually look like but they're using the logic that they have to try to categorize it in a certain kind of way for themselves so I should again like point out that this was really not just I mean it was self she did kind of self-fund this for herself she went out to this country to do it by selling her paintings and getting enough money to do it she wasn't commissioned by a place I don't think uh, but also this was really with the help of the women that already lived there in this space, learning about these things, because she had no idea on her own. She'd never been a Suriname. So this was kind of a group effort, even though she was the artist. Karen says the Dutch are not known for their pineapple growing. Well, that would explain <laughs> the carnivorous pineapple, as Seven Angelic describes. And Helen elaborates she was one of the first people to combine illustration of the plants with animals that live on them. Like in that pineapple image, all the phases of the life cycle of the butterfly. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, You're right, because you can see the chrysalis at the bottom, the larva, the butterfly. I mean, there's so many stories that are embedded in her pieces. I can't imagine this guy doesn't have a story. <laughs> so it's great to see those narrative elements that she was able to pull into her work. Jordan, this is your next artist pick. Yeah, um, so this is Ethan Castillo, and uh, there's not a whole lot of information about him other than the fact that he's just young. I think he's currently 17 years old, but he's been tabling at conventions since he was like seven or eight. And this is a drawing I was able to find of his from, I think it was an old YouTube video, uh, where someone's like, hey, let me put you on my channel. And he's this child who's barely got adult teeth who's doing <laughs> books and doing his thing. So I, I just thought it was really inspiring to see someone so young uh, being able to live out his dream of drawing Spider-Man as a, <laughs> as a, as a um, budding artist. And Lauren, I think that social media has created opportunities for people well before they're even eligible to get training. And as we saw earlier with Jordan and LaShawn Thomas, you can get a booth at a Comic-Con and that, that's sort of extraordinary. Yeah, the internet has really allowed you, one, to find mentorship and people to help cheer you on and your learning, like we have here at ArtProf, for instance, but also things like TikTok or Instagram or other types of social media that really 
can push vi viral virality really fast for something also can get a young person who maybe don't doesn't have a lot of contacts in real life or away from keyboard get them that exposure really really fast and good for him I don't think everybody should do this. I think a lot of kids would be absolutely terrified <laughs> to show their work anywhere, much less in a very public setting and on social media. And I don't think this is the best route for every young artist. But I mean, he's into this, right, Jordan? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the, the way I think his path has worked, um, based on what I know, is I think someone mentored him, an uh, artist named Sean Galloway, who I've mentioned on previous streams. Uh, and I think he just kind of took that and just ran with it. And yeah, you're right. I don't know if a lot of children could handle that. Like I started, like, I was an adult when I started doing sort of like demos and stuff. And I still get a little like flustered and I'm like, man, this kid's, you know, got, got high school and then he's tabling at got cons. And it's just, there's something really unique about that. And, uh, you know, so for all my young artists out there, it is possible to be able to do these things. Yeah, you probably have to brush up on your social skills. It seems like that is a part of this kind of learning when you're really young is also having a certain amount of charisma that you can develop. I think it's great that he's doing this. I don't think every young artist should do it, but he seems to embrace it. seems like he's a very prolific person, seems very productive, and you can check out his Instagram to see more of his work. And it's great to see somebody so young having so much initiative mm -hmm. because so many of us are very shy when we start out as artists. And it's not easy to show it to people beyond your, what, immediate family? I mean, even my kids won't show me their stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> My kids have a folder in Procreate that says, don't look at this. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm not touching that folder. And it's just wonderful how he seems to have created the artistic community that he needs in order to thrive. Because art school is one thing, but how many people actually go to art school? It's a very small percentage. But I think the internet has changed that. Like Jordan, now a lot of people do find mentors online. Okay. I think I think that's what, especially this next generation, I think is mostly going to be people learning from different online platforms um, or different like smaller schools uh, online because uh, it's just if you had the access to the information and you have access to a community which the internet provides both of those things very easily there's going to be some shifts in, in the art space I think so yeah. Seven Angelic says all this self-taught art gives me encouragement being self-taught as well. Well tell us in the chat who here is self-taught and what is it like seeing all these self-taught artists? Lord, I think it's amazing. We have somebody who started in their eighties, somebody who started when they were nine. And so what does that tell you about being an artist, this range of ages? Being an artist is not something that needs to be gatekept. The, the ability to create is innate in everybody. It's just, do you choose to actually spend the time and the effort to foster that and really push that? And if you do, it doesn't matter what age you start, then you have that. Rowan Beth says, I love that he's doing what he loves. 
getting positive reinforcement from adults, but kids should know that they don't have to focus on making art that adults deem to be good. Yeah, there are certain things you have to be cautious about. If one of my kids was nine and wanted to table at Comic-Con, for sure, I would support them. But I also know that there are challenges to that as well. What do you think about that, Jordan? Yeah, I, I think... Uh... I think it's definitely a delicate balance because you want to be able to push them to grow, but you also want to let them not feel uncomfortable uh, in, in that environment. And I think from what I saw, especially with Ethan Castillo, is like all these professional artists were like, this kid is awesome. Like I actually have a former professor who met him at a convention and bought one of his books. And, you know, in terms of skill, like I'm sure they've seen, you know, because they work in the industry, they've seen things that are probably better, but there's something about him being his age, um, his his tenacity, his willpower to be able to do this and do it well um, is, is something that you don't see very often. It's a very rare find. Um, and so, yeah, more, more power to you, Ethan, if you ever see this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my pick is David Butler and he started earlier in his 60s compared to Bill Trailer. And he is another artist who started later in life. He had all kinds of jobs. He worked at a sawmill for a long time and actually had an accident there, which made him become disabled. And so he ended up making all of these sculptures basically on tin roofing panels. And everything was what he used as a tool, like axe heads, hammers, meat cleavers, basically anything he could hit the tin with became one of his sculptures. And then beyond that, he also painted the tins, which lends a whole other element to his work. Because Lauren, I feel like painting sculpture it's not easy to do. I think oftentimes people paint sculpture and you almost wish they didn't paint it. <laughs> but what do you think about color here? Well, there's this, again, very uh, art world, Eurocentric idea that sculpture has to be colorless. It has to be white or it has to be metal. It can't have any bright colors or it's not serious or it's not art. And here we see there's a much broader world than that. And David Butler is too, too good for those Richard Sarah type people, modern artists. These, the color really adds this element of like more of this modular kind of collage type feeling to it. It also is kind of it enlivens the whole thing. It reminds me a little bit of, of Calder's mobiles and how they each have the bright shape. So you get this real emphasis on shape that I really like. And Jordan, we have this view here of David Butler's work in a gallery setting, white cube gallery on a pedestal. But what do you think about the fact that his home was one gigantic installation? I, I actually really think there's something charming about his his home sculpture. If, I'll, if I, I'm just going to coin a phrase now, uh, his little home sculpture because <laughs> it's it feels very authentic and actually reminds me of um, Watts Towers. If you ever heard of that, it's basically um, towers in Watts, uh, which is in LA, 
and this man basically made these giant like 60 to 100 foot towers of trash by himself it took him like 30 40 years um but it kind of gives me that same feeling where he's just like yeah i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna turn my house into <laughs> you know a piece of artwork and you all will deal with it like there's there's something really special about that i mean white cube galleries they certainly serve their purpose and we do experience the work quite differently like in this shot in this photo you can see the shapes more clearly but just the unbridled energy <laughs> it's just like left and right it's it's just a place that you feel so immersed in and i just think that's remarkable because lauren isn't the house part of this it is i again it's kind of like the shed piece too where you need the you need the the surroundings to make it to make it really feel how it's supposed to feel and I agree, there's so much life in this work here and it, so much movement too. And it creates almost a little, how would I put it? A protective structure around the house. These are what populate the house. We've got some super stickers here, one from Sentient Charcoal. We have another one from RB Dix. Thank you, thank you. We so much appreciate your support. Keep those coming. These super chats, they do add up over time. So we greatly appreciate that. We have a whole bunch of people who are self-taught telling us a little bit about their journey. Carla says, I was told that I was an artist by other artists and educators. My dad always to me, I could sell things I was giving away as gifts. I now sell at galleries, which supports my art. And we also have April, who says, I have a toddler and full-time job, so I find it hard to do discipline myself to improve the way I want to. Well, Jordan, pretty much everybody here has a life and stuff they have to do to stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that is part of this whole, I guess, choice we've made to be artists. Yeah, I, I I currently am struggling with that too, just the time management aspect on being able to do work versus surviving and <laughs> doing things that, uh, and, and you know, the way I see it is being an artist is not something that's an on and off switch. It's it's something that you, you just are. And so if you can't do something one afternoon or for a week or something because your life is hectic, it doesn't mean that someone's going to revoke your art card from you, you know, like it's not... It's not something that is so tangible like that. It's part of you. So don't worry about that if you can. W315 says, I went to art school, but it barely scratched the surface of what I needed to learn. Also, I wasn't mature enough to get everything out of what I might have. This is so true. People think, oh, I'll go to art school. I'm all set. No, <laughs> the, you have just started to get in. Was that the case for you, Lauren? Yeah, in fact, in art school, you often have to unlearn a lot of the things you learn in art school afterwards, which is fine. There is a reason to go to art school, but it is not the be all end all at all. And it's only four to six years of your life versus how much life as an artist, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. <laughs> Sentient Charcoal says, since finding Art Prof, I feel like it's almost dishonest to say I'm entirely, quote, self-taught, 
because it feels more like partly self-taught and part community taught. This is such a great point because what I love about our community is you all teach each other. I know technically we're the ones on the stream and making the tutorials, but Jordan, our community learns together. Yeah, I think that's the best way to learn, honestly, because you know, just because let's say the three of us are presenting something uh, doesn't mean that we have all of the answers. There's so many people who are watching the stream and who will watch the stream that will be able to contribute and bring their own pieces of information and that will inspire others and help them learn something. And it might teach us something. So it's just this this sort of cyclical, um, you know, share art, learn art type of <laughs> uh, type of community. And I think that's super important. I can tell you all that Karen, who is making a comment about starting drawing at 54, Karen told me, hey, try oil pastels on Yupo. And I did, and it was awesome. And I would not have known that if Karen hadn't told me to try it. Thank you so much, Anna, for Thank the super you. chat. Anna says, go to the Outsider Art Museum in Baltimore. It's the best outsider art collection. Thank you so much for your support, Anna. We do have an Art Prof share today. And Art Prof share is when one of you in our community creates artwork in response to some of our content. The artist we are going to be looking at today is Sarah Busanzi. I'm sorry, Sarah, if I mispronounced your name. And these are sketches, very quick sketches, like four or six minute drawings that Sarah did from our marker drawing tutorial where I selected TV shows and movies to sketch from. And so Sarah explains, a couple months ago, I had an art block. I did not know what to do, where to start, was scared of trying something that I would end up hating. And so Sarah explains, short sketches helped me get back onto drawing without thinking too much. All I had to do was sit, watch the movie, that helps, pick up the pen and draw really quickly. And spontaneity was a great medicine for my art block. So a lot of these sketches that Sarah did was from that Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson marriage story movie. And Jordan, it is so much fun to see this wonderful spread of sketches. Mm -hmm. you know, this, this actually kind of reminds me of uh, figure drawing quite a bit because of the speed at which you have to draw and how much you have to be able to, to just you know, put down as quickly as possible whatever you're seeing. And there's a freedom to that. There's something that allows you to kind of just let go of all the fears and the concerns. And I'm glad that this helped you work out of that art block you were you were talking about. Um, but no, these are great sketches. There's so much energy and life in them. Yeah, they're really so immediate and they I can feel the emotion in them. I'm just looking at the way that that one guy's head is tilted in that scene where they're holding cups in that left corner there. There's that guy that has the nose and the eyebrows like, and I can tell they're in a conversation and I just love that. I love that you can, I feel you releasing your anxiety and your worry and really coming up with some stuff that's just showcasing your pure talent for catching these really short, quick, scenes and i love the addition of the blue marker because the line work has so much energy to it but i feel like the addition of the blue marker gives the figures even more dimension so great work sarah 
it's hard to be in an art block, but it seems like you did an amazing job pulling yourself out of that. This Google slideshow is available. The link is in the YouTube video description below, and you can access all of our slideshows on rprof.org anytime you want. After the stream, Jordan and I will be doing a stage channel in the Discord. Please join us in the post live streams stage channel. And this is where you get to talk to us on voice. We love hearing your voices and we chat about everything. So we really hope you will join us there right after the stream. There are many ways you can support ArtProf. You can become a monthly Patreon supporter and get exclusive emails and perks like the Patreon channels and the Discord access to voice sessions with our staff every week. You can enroll in a premium track, which is a very focused learning environment. You get really close attention from our staff. And you can also purchase a social media critique. A lot of people need help with their websites and social media accounts, and it's oftentimes unclear what to do. So it's great to get customized support on how to do that. And a huge thank you to our top Patreon supporters. You are all paying the bills here at our prop. There's a lot of bills, tons of expenses to be covered. And a lot of it gets covered by all of our Patreon supporters. We did go down $3. I'm not going to cry, <laughs> but it's not exactly, uh, it doesn't make me feel great. So can we just go up? Like at least just not a zero, you know, like let's, let's try to push that up everybody. So everyone, thank you so much for watching. We will see you next time. Bye.